0: Thank you for watching NTD Business coming up tonight. Carvana shares plummeting today. Fears are growing it'll go bankrupt after getting downgraded by a ratings agency. The District of Columbia suing Amazon saying it stole tips from its delivery drivers. And more signs supply chain problems are starting to resolve. Shipping times and prices are both down. What's behind this? are much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Shares of used car retailer Carvana plummeted over 40% today as bankruptcy concerns grow. The drop came after Wedbush downgraded its rating on Carvana stock from neutral to underperform. The downgrade sent Carvana's shares to a record low. Wedbush raised the possibility of a Carvana debt default that would increase the risk of bankruptcy. Bloomberg Law today reported that Carvana is speaking with lawyers and investment bankers about managing its debt load. Concerns are growing that plunging used car prices, lower demand, and high costs will hurt the company's solvency. And the District of Columbia's Attorney General today sued Amazon, saying the online retailer had withheld tips from delivery drivers. The Attorney General says Amazon, quote, tricked consumers into thinking they were increasing driver's compensation when actually it was diverting tips to increase its own profits. Amazon Flex drivers use their own vehicles to make deliveries. Amazon settled with the Federal Trade Commission last year and paid over $60 million to 140,000 drivers. But the D.C. Attorney General says that's not enough. There needs to be, quote, significant penalties to stop Amazon from doing the same thing. Amazon did not immediately provide a comment. And on Wall Street, stocks ended mixed today. The Dow gained about two points, mostly unchanged. S&P fell seven points or two-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq lost 56 points or half a percent. Jack Dorsey, Twitter's former CEO, wants current CEO Elon Musk, Musk to release the Twitter files all at once. The Twitter files refers to internal Twitter documents that show how it suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story. Twitter allegedly hid this story from the public to help Joe Biden become president. Instead of releasing these documents all at once, Musk is doing so through a series of what he calls episodes. Dorsey's call comes after Musk fired Twitter's general counsel, James Baker. Musk tweeted that Baker possibly suppressed information that was important to the public dialogue. He discovered that Baker had vetted the Twitter files without his knowledge. And the thing is, Baker used to be the FBI's head lawyer. The more formal title is general counsel. Baker played a key role in the Bureau's investigation into false claims of collusion between Russia and the 2016 presidential campaign of Donald Trump. Constitutional lawyer Jesse Benal from the Benal Law Group says Baker was heavily involved in the FBI's anti-Trump agenda. Now, has represented President Trump before in several lawsuits.
1: He was a major part of this false Russia collusion narrative um, that that occurred uh, over uh, a number of years um, uh, that of course resulted in in the Mueller investigation, which of course we all know now. Uh, The result was, of course, that there was no collusion, but they used this as an effort to try to undermine President Trump and his agenda.
0: Baker himself was even part of the Twitter files. He had told Twitter executives to not release the Hunter Biden laptop story. His message to the executives is actually one of the documents in the files. Baker tried to exla- explain himself to Musk, but Musk found his explanation, quote, unconvincing. Lawyer Jesse Benall believes Baker should have never been hired at Twitter in the first place because of potential conflict of interest.
1: Jim Baker was such a heavily politicized uh, character that, was, that had such a huge political agenda that he never should have been at, at Twitter. And quite honestly, he should have been gone in, in uh, Elon Musk's first round of, of firings.
0: Though not everyone agrees, Kevin O'Brien was an assistant U.S. attorney at the Department of Justice currently working at law firm Ford O'Brien. He thinks Baker simply doing the job he was hired to do.
1: But If you're an assistant inside counsel at a major company and you're sending files, possibly sensitive files, to third parties, it's your job to review those files. It is malpractice not to review them.
0: Baker has not issued a public comment about his apparent departure from the social media firm. We currently don't know when the next episode of the Twitter files will be out. Meanwhile, Musk has suggested he may do a data dump later after all the critical stories have been released. And moving on, billionaire George Soros was the biggest political donor this past midterm election, spending $129 million on Democratic candidates. But how much has he spent on media organizations around the globe? A new study looks at just that. Here's a story from Jeremy Sandberg.
2: A watchdog organization called the Media Research Center recently released part one of their three-part research on George Soros' influence on global media. The study finds that Soros has used his charities, including the Open Society Foundations, to finance at least 253 media organizations around the world. The founder of the Media Research Center, Brent Bozell, spoke about the findings on Fox News on Monday.
3: Everywhere you look, you know, when you look at the Poynter Institute, a big fact checker, Mm -hmm. it's funded by George Soros. How many people know that when you go on Google and you look up something, immediately you get Wikipedia funded by George Soros?
2: The media organizations include Project Syndicate, a publisher of commentaries that has received over $1.5 million, the Pointer Institute's International Fact-Checking Network, which has received almost $500,000, and National Public Radio, which has received $600,000. Bozell says he believes Soros is a dangerous man. Here's his comment on Soros' ultimate goal.
3: George Soros was asked that question, and his answer, you know, what, what do you want? His answer to me is... Chilling. It chills me to the bone. His answer was I want to change the arc of history. That's how ambitious this man is.
2: The Media Research Center says it will release parts two and three of its research later. They will detail exactly how much money Soros has spent on media organizations and which corporate media received Soros's money.
0: And another U.S. state puts TikTok on the blacklist. Joining South Dakota and South Carolina, Maryland has become the latest state to ban the Chinese social media app from government devices. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan announced the directive yesterday. He cited the software's potential for spying on government entities and gathering users' information. U.S. officials have repeatedly warned that TikTok could steal data from U.S. citizens and pose a threat to national security. The ban also covers other companies like Huawei and Chinese state owned tech firm ZTE. The directive also bans the use of WeChat and Alipay. That means government agencies must remove these products from state networks and prevent them from being installed on devices. And Virginia's governor issued an executive order for state agencies to report all fines, fees, and suspensions related to COVID 19 shutdown violations. Governor Glenn Youngkin says state action imposed during the pandemic put businesses at risk and barred people from carrying out important daily activities. Youngkin also said he will order a stop to enforcement of all COVID-19 shutdown policies, as well as the collection of fines and fees. He also plans to develop a reimbursement process. The new measures will not apply when the alleged violation is related to nursing homes, hospices or assisted living facilities. Lockdown policies were put in place by the state's previous governor. Youngkin calls them COVID-era draconian overreach. San Francisco has had a change of heart, apparently, on its decision to allow police robots to use deadly force on dangerous criminals. Here's more from NTD's Shar Marshall. We need to invest
3: in community in addressing the root. Politicians, advocates and protesters on Monday called on San Francisco's Board of Supervisors to reject a proposal to allow city police to deploy potentially lethal remote controlled robots in emergency situations. The board voted down the proposal on Tuesday.
1: Well, this is military weaponry uh, that has no place in the San Francisco Police Department. Um, And it's really a reckless proposal to allow police to use a robot to basically deliver deadly force through uh, an explosive device. Um, That is, uh, it, it makes us all less safe.
3: The turnaround comes a week after the board voted to approve the policy in an initial first reading vote. This prompted a protest at City Hall on Monday, with some holding signs that read No Killer Robots. In 2016, a robot and a pound of C4 explosive killed a sniper who was targeting police officers in Dallas, Texas. The robot, which the police department had purchased in 2008 for $151,000, sustained only minor damage to its extensive arm and was still functional. San Francisco's reversal of its decision to deploy police robots comes after a similar about-face by New York City police last year. The NYPD was forced to get rid of DigiDog, a robot dog they leased from Boston Dynamics for $94,000, a robot that looks similar to this one. After public outcry, the contract was terminated. Sean Marshall, NTD News.
0: Inflation is taking a heavy toll on average Americans. A new survey shows that more than two-thirds of Americans are struggling to pay grocery bills. The survey is by retail technology platform Swiftly. The survey is called True Cost of a Grocery Shop. It found that current economic conditions, like inflation, are significantly impacting nearly all consumers' shopping habits. The survey showed that more than four (laughs) out of five survey respondents rely on some form of coupon, rewards app, or loyalty program. And almost three quarters have changed their grocery shopping habits in the last year and now for some good news it looks like supply chain problems are resolving supply backlogs of the past two years have improved dramatically delays shortages and prices are also getting better railroads ports warehouses and freight yards that move goods to customers are approaching their pre-pandemic state The easing of supply bottlenecks is actually giving some relief to inflation as well. But what's behind supply chains getting better? We talked to an expert. And now joining me to talk about the supply chain is Josh Brazil. He is the VP of Supply Chain Insights at Project 44. Now, Josh, just to start off, how's the supply chain doing ahead of this holiday season?
1: Well, what we've seen over the course of 2022 is really the improvement in, in supply chains compared to what we saw uh you know at the end of end of 2021 with a lot of the congestion going on due to that demand uh, that we saw peak during the pandemic so it's really been a story of kind of uh uh, going back to normal in a sense but what's been interesting is kind of how how fast it's gone back to normal over the last quarter especially on the the trans-pacific route between asia and the west coast of the us and so those have gone back to pretty much pre-pandemic levels and those those Congestion that we saw last year is also gone back to normal on the West Coast. So what we've seen is shipping rates uh, drop really considerably, and that's largely due to this drop in demand, consumer demand, you know, consumers going back to buying services rather than goods, and also combined with the inflation, the inflationary pressures that are that are reducing that demand.
0: And about consumer demand, what do you think are the biggest contributing factors for that?
1: Well, it's inflation for sure. You know, the inflation, and it's an interesting picture because the the supply chain congestion that happened last year really contributed to that inflation. So with that supply chain bottleneck, you know, being, being uh, let, let go and, and goods be able to, to flow more, that's also bringing back those inflationary pressures. And we're starting to see that already with uh, prices coming down uh, to ship items also helps the cost of of those goods come down over time
0: and this dropping demand as i understand has led to uh, shipment delays going down and shipping rates going down as well is that is that right well
1: yeah so so they work they work in tandem shipping rates have gone down considerably interestingly we saw a big shift of shipments getting getting shipped to the east coast and so what shippers and, and and retailers were doing was trying to kind of hedge uh, a bit of their risk of getting getting things locked up at, on the west coast and, and diversifying to the east coast so at the end of this year we saw a massive spike in uh imports and uh we we saw the, uh, new york and new jersey actually take more more containers this year than uh than than l.a has in the past and that's a that's a huge change
0: and i, I just want to get a general sense uh going into 2023 are, are there any top concerns for for the supply chain in in your eyes?
1: You know, I think the biggest takeaway for for what happened last year is that uh, shippers and consumers realize that there's there's so much disruption that's going on in supply chains and they're going to continue to happen. So it's not only, uh, you know, the COVID pandemic, it's also uh, severe weather patterns. We saw last year uh, droughts happen across the world uh, from China to Europe to the United States, which actually Uh, reduced you know shipment trade on inland waterways for example Uh, in china they had to close down uh you know some manufacturing hubs because there wasn't enough power to supply those so we're realizing that there's a lot of disruptions happening everywhere and what uh, manufacturers are starting to do is diversify some of that manufacturing to other places across the world so that in case something happens they have they have a plan b in mind so what has happened is the supply chains have moved really from a just in just in time, you know, delivery model to a just in case delivery model. And that means just in case, have something, uh, have either warehouse stock available or have you know diverse diversified um, uh, suppliers for your supply chain that you can fall back on in case something happens.
0: All right, thank you very much for the insight, Josh Brazil, Project 44. Great having you on today. Thank you. And China announced today the most sweeping changes to its tough anti-COVID regimen since the pandemic began three years ago. It's loosening rules that curbed the spread of the virus but had hobbled the world's second largest economy and sparked protests. Olivia Chan reports.
4: China announced on Wednesday the most sweeping changes to its tough anti-COVID restrictions since the pandemic began three years ago following the weeks of unrest that recently hit the country over the measures. The relaxation of rules include allowing infected people with mild or no symptoms to quarantine at home and dropping testing for people traveling within China. The announcement quickly became the most viewed topic on China's social media platform Weibo, but some expressed worries about the greater potentials for infections. Liang Wanian, the National Health Commission official, tried to ease some of those worries.
2: The optimization of the policy is not
0: completely opening up without prevention. It is a proactive optimization rather than reactive.
4: Wednesday's announcement is the strongest sign yet that Beijing is preparing its 1.5 billion people to live with the disease. Although China's borders remain mostly shut, searches on Chinese travel sites within the country searched. Travel platforms from trip.com to Tuna said searches for air tickets to cities such as the tourist spot of Sanya and Harbin jumped as much as seven times after the news of the loser rules was announced. Cities across China were gripped by the protests over its tough COVID policies last month, although they later petered out under a heavy police presence. Cities and regions around the country started announcing a mishmash of easing measures that fed expectations for Wednesday's announcement. But that has set off a rush for preventative drugs as some residents, particularly the unvaccinated elderly, feel more vulnerable to the virus. Authorities across the country have warned of tight supplies and price gouging from retailers in recent days.
0: We're going to take a short break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, Uber rolling out a self-driving taxi in Las Vegas today. Which city is next? And just in time for year-end parties, Apple launching a new feature to let you sing along to your favorite songs. That Then more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Uber and driverless techmaker Motional launched their public robo-taxi service in Las Vegas today. The launch is part of a non-exclusive 10-year agreement between both the companies for driverless vehicles. A rollout in Los Angeles is expected to follow. The companies said they would have vehicle operators for now, but they're working to make a fully autonomous ride available to the public next year. Uber has also signed a deal with autonomous driving startup Neuro to use its driverless delivery pods in California and Texas. Last month, rival Lyft said it would launch a robo-taxi service in L.A. Tough regulatory scrutiny has hampered deployment of robo-taxi services. Delayed commercial adoption of autonomous vehicle technology has also hindered the rollout. Apple Music wants to help customers sing along to their favorite songs with the new feature. Apple Music Sing is being rolled out just as people gather for holiday and New Year's Eve parties. The feature allows users to adjust a song's vocals and provides an enhanced beat-by-beat lyric display. Apple Music is also supplying over 50 playlists with a range of genres from pop to country. Apple Music Sing will be available for iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV models later this month. Apple Music had a big year in 2022. In October, their streaming service notched its 100 millionth song. That's more than YouTube Music's 80 million songs and Spotify's 82 million tracks. According to Amazon, Amazon Music also has 100 million songs. And if you've ever had trouble solving a Rubik's Cube, here's some advice from the man who invented it. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more from Rubik himself.
5: Erno Rubik has seen his color matching puzzle go from a classroom teaching tool in Cold War era Hungary to a worldwide phenomenon. Over 450 million cubes have been sold. We were behind the Iron Curtain and it takes about three years to cross the the borders. And after that, in in, in two, three years, it became a a real worldwide craze. The original 3x3 Rubik's has 43 quintillion possible configurations. Seasoned cube solvers can complete it in a matter of seconds. Problem solving its a very basic activity of human mind, and, and, uh, and if a problem is complex, you need to divide the problem for smaller elements, smaller pieces. The current world record holder was able to solve a Rubik's cube in 3.47 seconds. The World Cube Association also has records for fastest solver while wearing a blindfold and fastest one-handed solver. It took 36 years after the toy was invented to determine the minimum number of moves to solve it. In 2010, a group of mathematicians and computer programmers proved that any 3 x 3 Rubik's Cube can be solved in 20 moves. Probably the one of the main key of the cube is the contradiction between uh, complexity and simplicity. The brainy nature of the Rubik's Cube may be part of the reason it has endured, while other toys and games have not. In 2014, it landed in the National Toy Hall of Fame, joining such childhood classics as Barbie, Hot Wheels, G.I. Joe, and the Hula Hoop. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: A guitar thought to have belonged to Marie Antoinette is expected to sell up to $84,000 at auction later this week. A French auction house lists the late 18th century Trianon guitar as a rare type of instrument created in Paris around 1775. An expert with the auction house says the the guitar is exquisite aesthetically and technically, calling it a treasure of refinement. The auction house notes there is no documentation accompanying it. But based on various historical accounts, the instrument is believed to be a gift from the last queen of France to a Marquise in her inner circle before the French Revolution. The instrument was preserved by the Marquise's descendants. The guitar is on display in France until Thursday. And that's all the stories we have today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. See you tomorrow.